Welcome everyone to the Seek, Go, Create podcast. This is your host, Tim Winders. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. And our guest today is going to be able to communicate with us on all three of those levels because he touches all of those arenas. And so we're gonna have a great conversation. I'm excited about it. Before I get to our guest though, let me just ask one big, huge favor from all of you. Go to SeekGoCreate.com as soon as the podcast is over. Not right now, but go to SeekGoCreate.com as soon as the podcast is over. And I'd like for you to go to the bar right up top where you could put your email address in and give us your best email address. Here's a reason why. We are always doing giveaways. We're always letting people know when we're putting episodes out and also bonus stuff. And we want you to participate in that. We've also been known to communicate back and forth with some of our community. And I really would love to have communications with all of you. So make sure we have your email address so we can do that. And we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, ask questions, give us feedback, comment, and uh, just start by going to Seek Go Create and we can, we can connect there. That's a great place to do that, great place to do uh, to do all that connecting, all that connecting. So anyway, today we have Mike Thacker as our guest. I think he's coming to us from Houston, Texas. Is that right, Mike? Are you in Houston right now? Well, I, so I live in Houston, but I'm actually in Dallas today. So I'm just playing with oh, you. Oh my God. Well, for those of us that don't live in Texas, Dallas, Houston, they're kind of the same. Hey, Mike is the CEO at WorkLodge. He's the founder of the Gabriel Project and a podcaster on a mission to change lives through entrepreneurship. And I, I have a strong belief that we're going to touch on all of those. Mike, welcome to Seek Go Create. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to being here. Yeah, great to have you, Mike. First question I like to ask, I gave you a little bit of prep. The listener knows that this is what I like to ask people. What do you do? We bump into each other or maybe we're on an elevator or something, maybe sitting on a plane. Some of these things I can't even imagine now nowadays, but but let's just say we bump into each other and I say, hey, Mike, what do you do? What do you tell people when they ask you that question? You know, it's gonna be some variation of, we build these amazing workspaces and make them accessible to small mid-sized businesses. And then we take the money we make there and we go change the world with it through the Gabriel Project. Wow. Okay. So, man, there's a lot there. And I'm trying to decide if I want to dive into that now or if I want to pause for a second. <laughs> well, before I do that, there was something that I read on, uh, it might have been your LinkedIn or something like that. And it said something about, you, we're going to get to all those things, but it said something about you hold a Guinness Book of World Record. You have a record in Guinness Book of World Records. Is that okay. right? Or is that is that just like resume fluff? Come on. <laughs> so I was recently involved um, with the PodFest event. I was one of the speakers on the, the spiritual track. And so because we were, I think because we were part of that, they got a world record for the largest number of live listeners to a podcast event. And so I think I've got some certificate coming that says I was I was part of that, you know, world, world record breaking attempt. So listen, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to put it on my wall because it sounds cool and it can go. It could go right here next to Zebra Guy, you know, but I don't know. It probably needs to live in my office at home. So. Uh, you know, I love that. I attended that event. I don't know that I'll get a certificate and I don't know that I could claim it like you're claiming it. But but that was a great event, had record numbers of people attending that virtual event. So. That was fun. So you are a Guinness and an actual Guinness 
world record holder. So congratulations. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll believe it when I see the certificate. I got my mailing notice saying it was on the way. So let's see what it says. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have to frame it. You got to frame right. something like that. I mean, that's not something that you get every day. I mean, a lot of people get college diplomas and things, but a Guinness Book of World Records is impressive. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. All right, Mike, you, you have a lot of things going on. And, and one of the things, one of our themes here at Seek Go Create is redefining success. At one point, it was about just talking about success, but what we really realized is that there's this whole redefining that that goes on. It's just a theme that we've seen in almost all of our um, all of our episodes. You, I think I, I heard or read that you have had five startups. I think in nonprofit and business space. I am sure you've learned a ton over the years from those. But I think what I'd love for you to do first is for myself and for the listener, just give us a quick, and I know it's tough when you've got startups because they're kind of like your children. You know, you, you want to talk about them and all that. And I'm the same way. But can you give us just a blurb or a few blurbs about each one? And then, and then maybe we'll pick a few to dive in a little bit deeper. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So I think... Um... You know, professionally, I spent a number of years working for um, a couple of large companies, building other companies in the UK in the uh, technical field, reselling uh, computer systems, you know, high-end IT solutions, that kind of stuff. And so I left the side of my first company. It was an internet consultancy back in the 90s, pre-Google. Remember when Google launched and I was over the moon that I could actually search for something and find it? If you remember Excite and Alta Vista and all that cool stuff, you know, they're not around anymore and there's a reason for that. So... Um, then my second startup was uh, an electronics uh, reselling business and um, had some fun with that for a little while. Um, we started a church in the US uh, back in 2010 and uh, did that for a number of years. And a friend of mine took over that actually on the north side of Houston. And then Work Lodge would, I guess, count as number four, um, for profit business in the co working and the flex office space. And then uh, the Gabriel Project would be number five, uh, 501c3 uh, in the state of Texas and uh, that one in uh, 2014. Wow. Good job there. Good job there giving us a good overview of it. All right, so there's a few things that I want to do. I want to kind of jump back to the 90s. One of the things that I love to do is, is I guess, kind of, I guess, dig into someone's path, you know, how they've ended up to where they are today. And 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 I, I know this from listening to your podcast, a little bit of your background, and you kind of, I don't know if meander would be the correct term, but you've, you've done a number of things. And what I want to ask is, what are some of the things that you look back on that you would say, ooh, that was super successful? And then what are some of the things that you go, we're going to get to learning points. So we, we, we get more learning sometimes from the things that weren't. But and then also any of them that maybe you go, huh, that might be something I would do differently if I were doing it today. First of all, super successful. Give us give us the high points and then maybe we'll look for some of the lows. Well, I think, um, you know, professionally, I think on the on the early years, I, um, I came out of college. My wife and I thought we were going to move to the U.S., funnily enough. And uh, we had some issues with visas and things. It didn't pull off. And so we kind of went to plan B. And, you know, I just picked up this regular gig at uh, probably what you would equate to a comp USA, you know, big box computer kind of superstore back in the nineties and started there. And, um, 
you know, got promoted a few times, kind of went my way up the ranks, you know, relatively quickly. And I think um, overall, I had a great time there. I met some great people. My first business partner actually was my manager in one of those locations. And uh, I went back to work with them years later and ended up uh, running the sales teams that sold to government. Uh, we sold to local and, and central government. And I think at the time we were probably, we were probably the largest sales teams in the, in the entire business. And it did about a billion dollars in revenue. Um, our teams then, I don't know, the exchange rates changed, but I think it was probably 90 or hundred million or so a year in, um, in sales that we did. And um, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was a time to grow and I was probably a little bit hyper-focused and I'm sure not the easiest guy to work for, but, but we, we delivered and uh, we delivered consistently. And that's, you know, that's what counts when in sales, right? Right, absolutely. So you mentioned the word hyper-focused, which many say is a characteristic of, we'll, we'll call them entrepreneurs. I don't, I don't really like the term serial entrepreneurs because I don't really necessarily know what that means. I mean, when it's time to do something else, you just go do something else. When it's time to shut it down, you shut it down or sell it or whatever. I don't know. Right. But, um, but hyper-focused is a word i'm in my mid 50s i think you're you're in your mid 40s and i'm wondering if that term hyper focused means something different to you today than it did in the 90s which is coming on almost 30 years ago so the reason is i ponder that quite a bit i really do wonder about um where my energy goes if that makes any sense talk to me about that a little bit about how hyper focus may have changed for you if not if it's the same then that's cool too yeah, I think, you know, I think for me, the way my mind processes information um, is very singular. And that's not to say that I can only think of one thing and I can never think of something else. But really, there's, there's, there's definitely one thread and, you know, it's go big or go home. Like my, mentally, my brain just naturally goes there. And so everything else just falls by the wayside. And I don't mean this as an excuse or, you know, as a, an explanation to make it okay or not. And I'm not going to say I forget every birthday, but I, if I get in the zone, I, you know, I can go, I can go 16, 18, 18 hours straight, you know, at a computer screen and not even blink move or anything. And I'd probably look like a statue and I could do that days and weeks on end. The world could pass me by and, and I just wouldn't know. And I think even now, you know, probably sometimes folks who work around me struggle with that a little bit because, because it is a little different to typical. And I don't know that it's really evolved in a, a positive or a negative way. It just seems to be the way I'm wired and, I, I don't know how else to say it. You know, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to I'm trying to pay more attention to, you know, what's happening around me and um, and the soft, you know, kind of warmer, fuzzier, fluffier stuff. But I I don't process information that way. It's I've got to achieve this. I've got to make it happen to do that. It's X Y Z, and I think in steps and you know process and and, and those kind of things. Yeah, I, c- I can relate to that. It it is interesting though. I. I'm kind of, I've been changing my lifestyle over the last few years and I'm noticing what I'm working on is I'm trying and I don't know why it's just an experiment. I do these experiments all the time, Mike. I'm trying to have times where I shut down the brain and I'm not focused on anything. Um, It's not working out great, just so you know. but I'm giving it a shot. So anyway, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something that I should just give up on and not worry about it. But, um, at at what point did, I mean, you came over here, if I recall, 
to be involved with ministry and and I know you've kind of always you've always been involved with business and ministry but um, had there been times in your life where you were going to go full-time ministry and have there been times in your life where you've said to heck with a ministry I'm going full-time business or are you always a hybrid um, I think I think it's probably ebbed and flowed um, when, when I was in the UK working you know with the, in the IT business I wasn't probably really involved for years with ministry stuff then when we came here we spent four or five years entirely on ministry stuff with nothing else in between and then it started to hybrid again and um, you know, and now it's kind of switched to the way where the primary focus is obviously business and, and entrepreneurship and, and definitely the, the nonprofit work is there. But from a time perspective, it's, you know, it's a small percentage of the time compared to trying to, to build a business and, you know, and grow something. Right. So, all right. So then would you say, do you lead with one and it spills over to the other? Or and the reason I ask this question too, I'll, I'll kind of tell you my intent. I had an interview with someone named Mike Bear a while back. He was an episode that came in February and he was a full-time pastor that felt the Lord lead him into business. And he and I did some business together in the late nineties. He's a consultant and great guy. He's a guy that invented the term business as missions, by the way. So uh, wrote the book on it and everything like that. But he kind of tells the story of when he left being a pastor that his ministry friends kind of looked down on him because he was going into the business world <laughs> because it's kind of like there's this pecking order, full-time ministry, and then, you know, down to, you know, then the, there's the business people. Have you ever seen that? Or is that something that's just unique to a few people? I mean, were you, I guess when you came to know the Lord, were you thinking that full-time ministry is the ultimate, everything else kind of fed it or no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. As a, I mean, as a kid growing up, so I was saving when I was nine. I think by the time I was 13, I thought I was going to be, you know, the next Billy Graham, whatever, you know, big time preacher. And uh, I think even now, some days, I, I still wrestle with the fact that I give so much of my time to the, the for-profit side of things. Sometimes I feel like I'm stealing from, you know, the mission and the ministry side of things and, um, you know, wish that I had a little bit more freedom to, to focus on those things. So I think subconsciously, there's, there's something that I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I think subconsciously in my own, there's something there that I would, I would potentially be more effective or more useful if I could create more time for, for ministry stuff. And I think, I think as people in general, I think we're all geared to value what we're involved in most. So I suspect most business guys would look at somebody leaving the business world to go into church ministry thinking, dude, what are you doing? And I think most pastors would look at someone leaving the ministry, going to the business world thinking, what, what are you doing? And I think it's just it's just human nature more than um, either of them trying to be, you know, that opinionated. If I don't, I don't know that they've really thought about it in those terms. Yeah, that's good because because I do think people some people wrestle with it, some don't. I, I remember I was actually saved around a business setting, so I started getting around church, and I kind of felt like I was supposed to do something in full time ministry, and then. Years later, I, I just realized I'm really good at business, or at least I'm pretty good at business. I have to be careful saying that. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the way I'm wired. And, uh, and I'm not so sure that what a lot of us do is 
not ministry, which kind of leads me to, uh, I really want to know more and the listener know more about what you're doing with Work Lodge because anyway, well, I, I will talk about it and then, and then there's a few other questions I want to ask because to me, you have the opportunity to minister in that environment is as much, if not more than many church type environments. So tell us about Work Lodge, how it formed up, what all it does, where all you're located now. Just give us, give us a good, uh, good description of what's happening there. Yeah, so I was I was in my previous role. I used to be the chief operating officer for a security company, and we did very boutique security for very successful people. And so when I wasn't traveling, I was working from home. Did it for about four or five years, and um, you know, like most people, it gets it gets old, you know, relatively quickly, especially when you got kids at home. So one day I had this great idea: I'm going to go get an office to work in, but I didn't want to get a big office because we we didn't do that as a company. And I didn't know anything about commercial real estate. I, I came across this executive suite space, whatever that meant, you know, and I went to look and uh, they take me down this hallway and there's no people anywhere. I can't see a soul. And she takes me into this interior office and it's four walls of solid drywall, a solid wood door. And um, it's the only single person office I've got available. It's like 800 and something dollars a month. And I'm standing there thinking, dude, this is worse than being at home. Like I, I can stare at my own walls at home. I remember literally having that thought. And so I went, I went home and said to my wife, I said, I said, babe, I looked at this office space today and, you know, frankly, it was terrible and it was full. And I said, I, I don't understand why are there no places that someone can go to work? You know, again, I work for some, some bigger companies, you know, they're, they're nice office facilities. They're, they're almost campuses, especially when you work for a really big company. Why is it this little guy can't do that? Well, there's no way I can afford the infrastructure. I can't build something like that. So I said, I couldn't do a worse job than these guys. And if they can fill that, we can build something that somebody would want to go to work at, you know, and we can make it better. And obviously this is back in like 2013, co-working's not a thing. And um, I just thought I had a really good idea and evidently, you know, a few folks beat me to it. And now, now everybody's having the same idea. So it's a whole different world, but, but that's what, that's what brought me into work. Life. So the heart was, how do we build an environment where small and mid-sized business owners can come in, they can focus on business and we'll take care of all of that friction of facilities and we'll create this business community or we'll this, this, this kind of network of people where they can build meaningful, actual relationships with people they're going to see on a regular basis and have solid conversations about what is, what are you dealing with running a business today? Dude, I'm struggling with this or I'm having issues with this. How have you handled it? You know, we, we just wanted that involvement and that, and, and that kind of two-way communication flow to be very natural and very organic. And so we started out in Houston. We built in the suburbs first. Didn't want to be downtown. I live in the suburbs and I don't want to drive. So I figured other people probably don't either. And so we got two locations on the north side of town there. And then this is our third one in Dallas. So we opened right right when COVID hit. So we timed it beautifully. <laughs> yeah, per perfect, right? Right when COVID hit. Everybody wants to be in co-working spaces then, right? Absolutely. So I I, I may get to that in just a second, but there's something you, there's a word you brought up, you, you brought up networking and community, I think may have been a word you threw in there and there's some other things. And, I, you know, I think you and I had a brief conversation a few weeks back and I may have shared this with you, but one of the things that's fascinated me is that as we travel is as, as, as a follower of Christ, as I know you are, I don't, at times I, I read the word and I kind of hunger for some of the examples that we see, like the early church, for example. You know, we see the examples from the early church and I just go, wow, 
what do we have today that is like the early church? And Mike, I, I got to tell you, in all my travels, there's really only a few examples that I think are close. And one of it is the startup world that we see. And I've been in and out of it, you know, uh, Atlanta startup and Austin and the Bay Area and Seattle. And, and I know you guys have startup areas there in Dallas and Houston. And, and then the other one is the coffee shop culture where people just go and kind of hang out and mingle and interact. And they're kind of working on their own, but they're in the same place. And then the other is the co-working spaces. And I've always thought you combine all of that, which you kind of do, that it may be, and I'll just ask you this, am I correct or not? It may be the closest thing we have to the Book of Acts church. Yes or no? Yeah, you know, I think I think if we could nail it and get it right, I think you're absolutely spot on. I was having a conversation this morning driving up with a friend of mine who owns um, some coffee shop slash co-working spaces and look like full-on coffee shop where you can, you know, walk in off the street, you know, as a member of the public and buy. And, and I said to him, I think the diffusion there is, is it's so clear. It, Starbucks nailed it. You know, they, they opened micro community centers all over, you know, the world. And, and I think no matter what COVID's proven it, people, people need to be connected to other people. We are built in the image of a God who is three in one. There, there is clearly something there. He isn't an island and we aren't made to be that either. Yeah. And so there's a couple of things. This, I think, is a great time to ask you this. I read this somewhere and, and I'm going to read these and ask you to speak to each one of them. You said you're interested in exceptional service. Uh, you're interested in helping people. And then you're also interested in people spiritually because they're valuable and you care. But I, I think while we're talking about the business aspect, you, you mentioned earlier, if we're able to nail it, if we're able to really put the pieces together, that we may be close to that. What are those pieces and how does exceptional service fall into that? Yeah, well, I think the idea of the exceptional service and really the heart of where we're coming from is the Bible says that whatever you do and do it as if you did it for God, right? So clearly all of my staff don't believe what i believe some of them do some of them don't but but the idea is look if jesus walked through the door and wanted to get himself an office would we treat him any different would would this level of service be okay would we show him the special office you know or would we show him any office would we charge him a different price because if we do anything differently for him then we're not treating everybody else the way we should be and that's the goal and, and so for us you know an exceptional experience doesn't mean i'm giving you free breakfast every day but it does mean that, you know, I'm going to remember the names of your guests when they walk in. I'm going to remember the fact that you told me your kid was getting an award last week, you know, and, and how did it go at the ceremony and actually be genuinely interested. And this is the hard thing. And this is what I mean when I say, well, if we nail it, because I can ask you to do something, you know, with somebody that works alongside me or works for me, whatever you want to call them. And I can say, hey, listen, you know, let's make sure we, we check the coffee every day at 9 a.m. And if if you are not bought into the vision or the DNA or the mission of what we're trying to do, you're going to check a checkbox on the checklist that says, I check the coffee at 9am every day. But if you bought into what we're doing and you believe in what we're doing, you're not going to need a checklist because you're going to want to make sure the coffee's warm, that there's enough of it. And all these other things that go around it, it tastes right because you care about the fact that someone's going to walk up to that coffee pot and drink from it. And you want them to have a great cup of coffee. And, that's the bit that I wrestle with. And I think most business owners wrestle with because, you know, everybody isn't an owner 
And so how do we get them excited about what we're doing? And how do we get them to care enough? I don't make any more money whether somebody drinks 10 cups of coffee from me or one cup of coffee from me because we give it away for free. I just care that if they want 10 cups of coffee, they have 10 great ones. And I care about that because they are valuable because they were made in God's image just like me. Yeah, that's good. So, so you mentioned there's challenges as an owner, manager, leader, whatever, to, to, I guess, inject that mindset into the organization. I, I know people and have spoken to people that have come into your office space, to your spaces, and they speak extremely highly of it. I'm going to be traveling cross country soon. I might pop in and do a visit. But how do you, what are some practical things that you have done to, to I guess, get that exceptional service mindset? And, and listen, we know there's not perfection. I mean, we would love certain things. And you know what? I think we ought to say this too. It's not all followers of Christ that are good at it. There are some people that are just wired to be. I, I wish they were. Some, some, some Christians need to be kinder, don't they? They really do. But, but, uh, but so practical for the person that might be listening that runs a, you know, a lawn care business or that has a large company or, or is even in ministry and they just want their people to treat people with that respect and all. What are some things you've done? What are some practical things? So I think one of the things we did very early on was we articulated some core values and some guiding principles. And so for us as a business, um, our overriding core value is to be amazing. That's what that's what we talk about. That's what we, I sign my emails with. And so we break that out and say to be amazing means we're going to be authentic. We're going to be passionate. We're going to be generous. We're going to be humble. And we're going to have some personality. We're going to be a little bonkers, which is a, an English phrase if, if you're not familiar with it. And so the idea is if you can start to really get those things, you know, working at an inner level, you'll have some idea of, of who we're trying to be. And then we lay on top of that some guiding principles that, okay, look, I can't write a policy book that's going to tell you everything you need to do in every situation of every day. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some principles to follow. The first one is do what's best for the business. And that, that can be interpreted a number of ways, but obviously taking care of our members is best for the business. So wherever possible, we want to take care of them to the best of our ability, but also not throwing away, you know, 10, 10 full cups of coffee a day is best for the business. So don't overmake it at 4.30 if, if we don't need to. You know, you can apply it in a number of different ways. And there's a couple of other things as well. And they're just simple, practical tips. And the hope is, you know, if you process your situation at any point in time, if you're thinking, how am I supposed to be handling this right now, whether it's a complaint, whether it's, uh, somebody wanting to learn more about the space or whatever, if you process it through that lens, you should have the answers you need and you should have the direction that you need. And then the second thing for me is, um, and probably to my detriment here, um, I, I still spend most of my, my working days in the front of house world, interacting, being involved with the business. And it definitely creates some challenges for me um, on the back end because I've still got other things I'm supposed to do as a leader and also as a business owner. So I gotta, I gotta make time to do those, but, but I want to do that one because I genuinely love serving the folks we serve. And so I, I, I love to be around them. I love to talk to them. I want to, I want to be in that environment. And two, I want to do that so I can try and model for the other team members. They can just watch and see. And again, not that I'm perfect, but hopefully they'll see some good things and it'll rub off. And it'll give them some ideas about, okay, well, might do this way. Hey, I can even improve that and do it better still. Yeah, that's good. And I, I actually wrote down the word model, and then you said it shortly after that, because it's, it is, 
it's very difficult if you were sitting in an office in the very back of the building and no one ever saw you for anyone to to see that so so i think i think that's that's powerful do you guys i know we're in a unique time where you know at the time we're recording this fall ish of 2020 uh the actual podcast might release late 2020 i don't think this will be over totally i don't know what you guys are projecting but but can you can you share with us the impact that it had back in the spring of this year when COVID and, and all hit, maybe the impact not just to you and your bottom line, I'm, I'm, if you want to share that, but maybe some of your members, the people that come and go and what you saw from people, employees, and then, and then maybe fast forward to what you see happening in the future. So look back and then look to the future and share what, you know, not that we can predict, but, but uh, share that with us. You know, I think, I think we've, we've been in a position where we've seen a really wide range of situations unfold. And I think that's natural because we're around so many people. And so I think, you know, from a staffing perspective, we've seen the anxiety, the fear, the worry, you know, the nervousness. We obviously tried hard to, to keep staff um, as long as we could, but we, we weren't able to keep everybody. Um, not just because we didn't want to keep them. Some of them went and found something else and, you know, and, and I get that and, and that's okay. Um, we've definitely seen the ugly side of people um, which has been tough. We've definitely seen a couple of members actually have businesses fail. And um, that's been really tough. I think I think for me personally, because I'm an entrepreneur and my heart does go out to the folks that we serve to see somebody having spent years building something and then for it to just evaporate. Now, will it come back? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. We're still to see them. I, I remember getting a phone call from a member and he, he was in tears on the phone. And um you know, all of his orders were canceled. I mean, just just almost overnight, you know, pretty much everything was gone. And he didn't know what to do. He'd been in business for 35 years. What do you do when that's all you've done? And I, I didn't have an answer for it. You know, I can't fix it. I wish I could, you know, I, I, I wanted to, but, but I don't know how to. So that was challenging. I think for me personally, one of the hardest things was walking down the hallways of a building. We build pretty big co-working spaces. So we're talking about a hundred plus offices in our spaces and our offices range from a one person all the way up to like a 30, 35 person suite. So they're meaningful sizes to walk through a facility like that. There was buzzing with hundreds of people. And now there's all of a sudden five or 10, you feel like you're walking through a cemetery. I mean, just at an emotional level for me as an owner, it was, it was eerie some days. Now, thankfully, you know, we've moved, we've started to move forward away from that again. And that's not to say everybody, you know, canceled and left, but working from home or whatever. It's um, it's just been really, really surprising, I think, in so many different ways and on so many different levels. And, you know, one of the harder things practically is, you know, I'm not trying to get political here, but, you know, when you go throw a ton of money at people with unemployment checks and stuff, well, it makes it an awful lot harder to go and recruit when some folks are happy to stay at home and not do any work and, you know, and still make what appears to be actually pretty decent money. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be political, but it, it's something we've wrestled with is we've tried to rehire and, you know, and get the staffing levels back up. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I agree that could be a political thing, but in, in all honesty, I think that there were some that were just trying to solve a situation. It's just now, how do we back out of it? <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like as a, as a, as a leader of a company, if you start paying someone 
more than the value, then what do you do? You can't back that back down. So that's definitely an issue we're going to deal with. I'm curious because one of the things that I see in what we were talking about earlier, the coffee shop culture and and even the um, uh, you know startup world and the co-working space is the energy from just the people, the buzz or the, you know, I think it's, I think it's if you nailed it and when you talked about it earlier, you're nailing it when people walk in and they just feel something. Yeah. How does that change when you've got offices with a hundred and you're 20% or 30% or 10% and will it get back to a hundred? I mean, that's kind of future looking, but what, like you said, it was almost depressing, but you know, I'll tell you, I'll give an example outside of your work. It depresses me to see some of these sports events with nobody in the stands. Right. And I'm almost right. wondering, should they even be doing it? I mean, is it really that important for us? If it's if it's really a, a something we should be taking cautions, let's not play baseball. And I know a lot of people get upset about that. And that's kind of political, too, unfortunately. But um, where's it going, Mike? How can we recreate this or what will it look like? Can we get that energy? Because I'm like you, I thrive in that energetic arena. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think there's a couple of thoughts here um, as I'm listening to the question. I think first of all, and again, not, not trying to be political at all, the ultimate problem here is money, right? The games have to get played because players are on contracts that pay big salaries and the the franchise owners have paid big money to be in the franchise and the advertisers paid big money to have their name in front of people. And so if you took away the dollar, I don't think they would be playing right now. I think, I think common sense would have prevailed and, you know, it would be very different, but, but, the, but that's the reality of the world we live in. I have the same challenges. My rent's still due. My bills are still due. You know, things didn't change for me and, you know, we didn't, we didn't get any help. And then, you know, is it going to come back? Absolutely. I think I think it's going to come back, and I think I think it's going to come back even more. So you know, one again, everybody's got different theories about how real or not real COVID is, and you know whether they know somebody or not who's been sick, and is it really going to be a vaccine? The reality is, the majority of the world is still alive. Obviously, some people have passed away, and that's terrible. But yeah. a lot of people pass away with a lot of different things, you know, on any given day, in any given year. So we've got to keep that perspective as well. But I think. What 2020 is going to show most people in retrospect is how much we are wired for community. You can't take it away. It's inherent in who we are as people. And whether that community is around a sports game, whether it's around a coffee shop, whether it's around a workspace, whether it's around Dungeons and Dragons, whether it's around a TV show, I don't care what you call it. The reason social media is so successful is people want to feel connected to other people. And as a society, we are lacking in that. I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about it. And you cannot beat human interaction. As good as this is, it's not the same as if we were chatting in, in, in real life. So it has to. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask that. Is that everybody's trying to do it virtually or digitally? And I think it was kind of a cool novelty for a short period of time. Right. And I'm picking up, and maybe you've got some insight on this too. I'm picking up that as this gets longer... <laughs> that people aren't thriving as much as they were initially. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. We, we didn't see a lot of success. We tried a couple of, you know, online virtual kind of, you know, get togethers early on. We didn't see a lot of success with our membership base. 
Uh, now we typically are built in the suburbs so these are folks with families and you know kids at home and, and that kind of stuff and i'm sure that that has a part to play but um but no I, I think you're absolutely right the longer this goes the more the more people are you know tired and fed up of having to engage on a screen and they want to get out and just be natural you know in real life yeah yeah mike i want to get to i want to talk about the gabriel project and then also i want you to give give our audience some uh, information about the podcast you've recently started, but there's one thing that I like to ask someone who's in a position like you're in. You've done well in business. You've done well or participated. I don't know how we compare well in ministry. You've, you've been a minister. How There are so many people in roles that struggle with money. And when I say struggle with money, maybe the definition of it maybe the pursuit of it, maybe an abundance of it, or maybe a lack of it. Uh, and, and let's just go and say the church world kind of struggles with perceptions of money. Can you give us kind of where you develop your mindset around money? And has that changed over the years as you've succeeded and some businesses have done really well, some maybe not, you've worked in ministry. Talk about, talk about money for a little while, educate us on your thought process. Well, it's funny you say that. So I just, literally, I think last week's podcast episode was about money. Um, my, my thoughts on money, I hate money. Um, I hate what money does. I hate what it stands for. I hate what it does to society. I hate what it does to the world. I hate what it does to people. The amount of people who do something every day that they don't want to do because they need a paycheck, it's, it's heartbreaking when you stop and think about it. And I know the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And I don't think everybody's out there loving money when they just need to pay a bill. And um, we live in a world where you have got two forces colliding. And, and I see a spiritual element here as well as a natural. Call, call it the devil, call it supernatural, call it whatever you want. The reality is there is one negative force that needs to control and dictate and one of the ways that you can do that is by making it so that to function, you need something else. And, and so, for example, if mortgages didn't exist, houses wouldn't cost hundreds of thousands of dollars because nobody could buy them. But because a system created a mechanism where you could borrow more to pay for more, well, now things can get more expensive. But then what happens is you get trapped because now I want more, right? And now I had to get a bigger home or, or whatever. And, or maybe I didn't want a bigger home. I just had to pay a lot because I live in LA mm -hmm. and I don't want a three hour commute, but that's where I chose to live. And I, again, I'm not trying to be politic, political. I'm not trying to, but the reality is there are these two opposing forces as people, we get ourselves to a place. And I think that's why Dave Ramsey's so popular. Like when you are debt free and, and to be clear, I'm, I'm debt free. I, I don't believe in debt. We have no, no venture backers, no partners, no, no, nothing. Um, when you get to a place where you are basically on the hook, well, now you just became a slave to something. And the Bible talks about that. It says, don't, don't be, don't be that person. I don't know if it's Proverbs or, you know, somewhere in the Old Testament, uh, but it says, don't be a, don't be a slave to anything. When you start borrowing, you know, it's a challenge. And um, I think that translates to, I learned very early on to live relatively modestly and, and look i mean this relatively clearly i'm not driving a 20 year old car i mean I, you know hands up let's be clear i'm, I'm not buying my clothes at a thrift store so so I, I say that respectfully but i learned very quickly don't spend more than you make 
never never done the credit card thing, never racked up a ton of debt. I've just always had this prescient kind of mindset of I've got to be cautiously optimistic. Cash is king. Get some money in the bank. Save it for the rainy day. Just keep it there. I'm sure that all the financial investment guys out there would look at, at you know my my financial management and say, "What are you doing?" Um, but I, I need money for a rainy day. You know, I don't I don't need it all in a volatile place where it's going up and down and, and everything else. And and maybe that day will come, but that'll come when I can play that game as if I'm playing you know a blackjack at Vegas. I can't do that with my life savings. I can't do that with the you know the few dollars that I have. And 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 I talk about this on the podcast. You know, it was John Wesley who said something to the effect of you know when I was making fifty pounds a week, I lived on forty five, but when I was making seventy five pounds a week, I was living on forty five. But there's a lesson there. Whether you want to give it all to God, whether you want to save some of it and give some of it, that's your call. But there is absolutely a lesson there to, to be a little bit. And again, I think that's why Dave Ramsey is, is so popular. I think that's that practical message of, you know, let's get out of this. This system that says it's normal to just go borrow, borrow, borrow and, and buy everything on installments. No, it's not. Buy less. I mean, holy moly, now I can't buy a phone without installments. Maybe the phone's too expensive. Maybe I need to go buy a one. I mean, I make a few calls and I, you know, I send a few texts. It's okay. I've got enough, you know, I don't need 900 yeah. lenses. Were you, um, were you trained that way growing up? Was your household you grew up in that way? Or was it something you learned? You know, we, we talk about redefining success. Did you have to redefine that at some point in your life or is it just from the beginning you had it? No, I think so. So, you know, my parents, I wouldn't say we were wealthy at all. Um, I don't know that I'd even say we were middle class. They they made a conscious choice to go buy a house in a good neighborhood because they wanted to raise us in a good school system. And I think if anything, I'd probably look back on it and say we were probably a little bit house poor as a result of that. And so, you know, for example, I think from memory, I think I was 13 years old before I ever had a takeaway, like literally. And that was at a friend's house who ordered some Chinese takeout. Um, so I got my first weekend job when I was 12. And I was making like, I don't know, five pounds at the time, $8 or whatever for going out on a Saturday morning and a Saturday night for a few hours. And so from I never got free money. I never got, you know, spending or pocket money, whatever you want to call an allowance. I had to go work for it. And so from that age on, I always had to work for it. And I think, I think because I had to work for it and because I started off with such small amounts, you learn how to stretch it. You learn how to be careful and really make it go. And, and I think that's translated even now. It's funny, I, I had an interview with Sergey Brin from Google. Someone was talking about how wealthy he is. I mean, you know, $35, $40 billion or whatever. And he made this comment. He said, you know, he said, I might have all that money. I still don't like leaving food on my plate. Like I can afford to, but it, it still doesn't feel right because he didn't grow up that way. He grew up needing to eat every last scrap on that plate. And, and I think it absolutely, you know, it's absolutely something there. I read it, I was reading another book. Um, I'm a bit of a reader. And so it was, it was talking about CEOs of companies and it was comparing them to each other. But it was CEOs of companies that were significantly more successful than others around them in the same space. So if you were comparing four, I don't know, Lego building companies who all did 50 million. Why did one of them break out and suddenly do 100 when the other three didn't? And what they noticed was every one of those CEOs grew up poor. Hmm. Interesting. So they had a, a concept of, or, or maybe they, they were able to live with less 
You think that's what it was? I, I think know, there's, there's an... definitely an element of learning to to make it stretch more. And I see it now. I I, I, I see it with my members. I've got a guy who ordered a, a Chick-fil-A milkshake and paid DoorDash for delivery. Now, <laughs> that means it would be how much? How I much would it be? successful, but dude, I'm not spending $5 to deliver a $3 shake. Like, I'm just not doing it. And, and, and I'm not criticizing or commenting on them. Like, do whatever you want. If you've got the money all power to you, um, I just wouldn't be, I just wouldn't be, I will get in the car and I will drive down there and get it rather than, rather than spend the five bucks. And maybe, maybe I'm the fool. Um, but I think maybe wretched and be careful and make it last. When we opened our first work lodge, you know, I'm, I'm in there putting all the chairs together to save the money on paying for handymen. You know, I'm asking my friends to come and help me. We didn't have it. It was the only way we could make it work and get it open. The other option would be let's go borrow some money, get a, get a business loan, open it the right way. Well, great. But then I got to pay it back. I'm sitting here thinking about the guy with the Chick-fil-A going now. I would have at least ordered th 30 nuggets or, <laughs> or, you know, like say, Hey, Hey Mike, buddy, I'm going to get some things on DoorDash. You want an extra sandwich or two just to eat for lunch and dinner. You know, if we're going to get it delivered, we might as well get a little extra. And I'm going, I don't know if that's good or bad either. You know, I don't know. Well, one of the things that I heard you talk about on your podcast, you were talking about really that money is, is more of a tool. And I think this relates to you. You kind of said in one of your statements, you're interested in people spiritually. I think sometimes people are interested in people financially. They're interested in people from an ownership standpoint. And I, my observation, Mike, is that you don't really even perceive that the money is yours, that maybe maybe it's just something you're stewarding over. Would that be a, a way of saying it? Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I'm, I'm very cognizant. None of it's mine. It never was to begin with. You know, the Bible's clear about, you know, who owns it all. And, you know, I, again, I think it's Solomon. I, I might be wrong. I, mean, I don't know my Bible as well as I should, but, you know, it, he owns the cattle of a, you know, a thousand cattle on the hills or something. It may be David who said it in his psalm, but um, for me, the, the way, and I think this is where this laser focusing you know, comes back. So, you know, so, so let's talk layers for a second and I'll help you think about how my mind works and processes information. So, you know, this is, this is at the moment a down year. We're, we're, not, we're not as successful as we were last year. So on, on, on one level, we look at it and say, okay, the business hasn't performed as well as it should. On another level, now I've got to say, okay, but if the business doesn't perform as well as it should, how does that affect my ability to give away profit? Because I've got a, a 501c3 here that's dependent on that profit. So now because the business didn't perform or because I didn't perform as a leader and find a way to pivot, change, evolve, whatever, better, quicker, faster, now my nonprofit is going to suffer as a result. Well, okay, but now there's another layer because if the nonprofit can't do what it's supposed to, did I just build 50 less wells? Because if I did, well, that's about a thousand people that don't have clean water right now because I failed as a leader. And is it a pandemic? Is it a whatever? Yeah, absolutely. But I should have been smart enough to, to be better prepared for when the down year came. And I wasn't. Could I have maintained exactly the same as last year? I don't know. But but now I, I create this internal pressure because I've got customers I want to serve and I want to serve them well. Um, but I can't afford the same things that I could afford last year, staffing wise, amenity wise or whatever. But now I've got a nonprofit that I want to serve well, but I can't do that as well as I want to. And as a result, the people the nonprofit is supposed to help, who may literally die without the help we give them. Do I want to go to bed at night thinking someone died today because I didn't get clean water to them? Like how, how many layers down do I go? 
And so then I, then I dial it back and, 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 I, and I'll give you a different example. What if I make a mistake in business and I make a bad decision and it costs us, you know, significantly? Let's say we, we blew $100,000 on a bad deal. I've, I've literally gone to God and prayed, you know what, I'm really sorry that I've, that I've handled this money this way that you trusted me with because it wasn't mine and I've screwed up. And I don't know if I said it quite in those words, but, but that's the heart, you know, of what's been there. And, um, and I wrestle with that. I wrestle with all does, of it. Does that create any pressure or I'll use a word that we know is in the Bible, anxiety for you? Because not only that, but you've got employees, you've got, you know, building. I mean, you know, how does one operate at peace with those type things going on. And I know there are a lot of listeners, myself included, we've got a for-profit and then we also have a 501c3 foundation that we funnel our profits that go into that. And it, you know, very likely will have less going into it this year than it did last year also. So I'm, I'm attempting to be relaxed and at peace. And, you know, we talked earlier about being hyper-focused. I'm trying to just be a little bit more, whoo, but what are you doing to, to, to deal with that? Is it, is it giving you more stress? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think, I think generally, um, I haven't really been an anxious person in life. Um, I wouldn't say I've never felt stress. I, you know, clearly, clearly I have, but other than when we first opened and a few nights thinking, what, what have I done? You know, 23,000 square feet and, you know, five members and two weeks away from opening or whatever it was like, is this going to, is this going to be okay? And um, other than that, I don't really remember times in my life when I, when I really felt anxious um, this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely feeling it. And it's, it's different. It's strange. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to handle it. And, you know, I'm definitely trying to spend more time with God. I'm trying to spend more time pressing into him. And I think, you know, a lesson I'm, I'm having to learn right now, because I feel that, look, the more you get, the more you feel like you want to wrap your hands around it. And the more pressure you feel about not wanting to lose it all. And I'm having to fight hard to keep the perspective of I've got nothing to lose because it's not mine anyway. So I've got to, I've got to keep that perspective. And I, and I think that's a lesson that, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be learning right now, um, but it's not an easy one. Yeah, not, a, not an easy one at all. And I, I can definitely relate to that from some things we've been through in the past also. Mike, that's a great, I guess, segue into the Gabriel Project, which is something that I've heard you say profits from what you're doing will go towards. And I guess one question as you do that, is that a hard percentage that goes in or is it just out of the abundance or out of the overflow or is it a tithe or, or percentage that you flow to Gabriel or I guess they're two separate entities, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So Gabriel's a, a full on 501c3, completely separate. So we, our goal was to give at least 10% of gross revenue right off the top. Um, I didn't want to mess around with net because it's too easy to, you know, maneuver numbers and, well, did you really need to spend money on that? Or again, we we stealing from God as a result. So we, you know, we've been able to achieve that. Again, I, I'm I'm not sure what this year will look like. Our goal and our hope is to do that. Um, you know, one of the ways we've achieved that, my wife and I, you know, we're able to because we're not big high, you know, high spenders. We're able to maybe take a little bit less out of the business for ourselves, and um, to be able to make that a reality. So it's not placing an undue burden, you know, on the business, although it is a burden. 
Um, but yes, we, we definitely we definitely shoot him for a, for a hard number. Okay, very good. All right, so having said that, tell us what Gabriel Project is, what it does, what was the impetus for starting it, because when, when I communicate with you and I hear you speak and talk about things on the podcast we'll talk about in just a moment, it seems as if you have quite a passion there. So tell us about it. Yeah, so obviously I, I've done ministry for years and it became very apparent that I wasn't built for the business of church. Um, I don't do politics well. Um, I wait, 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 wait. I, need, I, gotta, I gotta stop you there because I'm the same way. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know if it's my business mind doesn't fit well. I don't know. For a while I was going, well, maybe I just don't have the heart for it or something. Have you unpacked why that is? <laughs> that you don't fit very well or built for it? Um, I, I, have, I have issues on many levels with a lot of things. Um, <laughs> look, when I, when I read the New Testament, okay, and I'm just one guy with a very simple, you know, theological perspective, but when I read the New Testament, I see a church that people sold what they had to help each other out. They took collections that they sent to the churches to help people out. I don't see them building big buildings. I don't see them spending a bunch of money on, you know, stuff that is anything other than tangibly helping people. And so I think for my wife and I, our, our hearts are whatever we do, whatever we put our, our money towards, it has to tangibly make the most amount of impact and difference in the life of the person it can. And so that's why we've chosen to do some work locally, but then some projects further afield, because obviously the money goes further. So why, why wouldn't we do that? And so I wrestled with that. And obviously, look, I get the practical realities. If you want a church building, someone's got to pay for it. But my answer to that is, I don't care. I still don't think it's right to take a bunch of money from people who are working hard, giving it to God, just to pay the light bill and the insurance bill. Go meet in a tent. I don't care if you meet on a field. That could do much more for people in a tangible and meaningful real way. And obviously, Solomon built a temple. And obviously, it cost billions. And it was extravagant but let's be clear solomon was a business guy and he was incredibly shrewd and he also happened to be the richest man in the world well you know what if jeff bezos wants to go build a couple of you know big churches all power to him knock yourself out that's a completely different situation and and he's got the means to do it without it negatively impacting them what's left to be able to do something with something else and so that's that's kind of where i fall on that so hopefully i'm not offending too many people well, I, I have to say, probably one of the reasons that I loved connecting with you, you and I are very close on the same page there. And the words that I like to use is, there are a number of people out there that are building their own kingdom and not advancing the kingdom. Right. And, you know, building their own kingdom is putting a building up, putting a name on it, and expecting people to come in and sit and listen to you talk, listen to you preach and all that. And listen, I, I hate to be critical of a lot of that. I mean, we enjoy going in and out of churches, but but I love the thought of someone. I also, in the New Testament, don't see a lot of people that were full-time ministers either, just so you know. I see a lot of people that were working and they were ministering out of the overflow, not trying to get into a full-time ministry gig. But that's an, a whole other topic we won't go down. So you guys... 
tell, tell me how long Gabriel Project has been in existence. Obviously, you're attempting to take some resources and get it directly to people in need. Mm -hmm. Tell us what those needs are and how you guys are doing there and, you know, where, where you're at with Gabriel Project. We can also let if other people want to, you know, help if that's possible. I know it probably is. You can let them know that also. Yeah, so um, so we started working on Work Lodge formally in 2014. You know, we founded the company, we signed the lease, we opened in the summer of 15. So while we were working on the Work Lodge side of the house in 14, uh, we actually created the Gabriel Project then. So we created it before we'd ever opened. So I was telling people about Gabriel before we even had walls on, you know, on the floor. And um, the goal for us, so there's three, there's three specific areas that we work in. The primary is children. So orphan children or children in extreme situations, um, that would be our, our largest and, and most important focus. Second would be women, um, victims of human trafficking, um, victims of um, you know physical abuse. And then the third one that we don't really shout a whole lot about, and we really don't do a whole lot with, um, occasionally we'll come across folks in situations where maybe some micro assistance is needed. Some unforeseeable situations happen, they weren't prepared for it, they didn't have the means to get themselves out of it. We won't, we won't help somebody who, who could have avoided something or, um, you know, could have planned better. That might sound cold, but we just don't have the means to do that. But, but occasionally something will come up where we are able to help. Um, you know, Hurricane Harvey, obviously, you know, we, we made some donations and helped some folks. Um, you know, people's houses flooded that never flooded in 50 years. I mean, I can't, I can't hold, you know, that against them. So, uh, but that's a very, very small part. The main two areas of focus are the children and the ladies. And so... Um, the way that we've tackled that is in Houston, we have a feeding program. Uh, we've got some great partners that we work with. We, we receive about a thousand pounds of fresh food a day that is sorted and distributed to families in need um, every single day, except for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So 363 days a year, we've done that for a number of years and it adds up to a significant amount of money. We partner with some um, organizations. One is Shield Bearer. They provide counseling. Uh, we specifically fund uh, counseling to victims of human trafficking. Houston's a, a hotspot for that kind of thing, if you're not familiar. And in Thailand, we actually work and support a group out there uh, called Shield of. In fact, we just got a delivery from them. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but we've got a surprise for Christmas. And so um, they actually rescue people um, from those situations, human trafficking, brothels, that kind of stuff. And then they reskill them and retrain them to give them an alternative way to generate income so they don't go back to it. And that's the key for me is that self-sustainability focus. That's what we're really looking for. Um, we've built three children's homes in India. Each one has about 50 kids. We'll, we'll likely build more. We just pause on that because we've been working on a water well project out in Cambodia where the clean water not only helps people have something to drink, obviously, which is what you would expect, you know, good old, um, you know, drinking water, but what surprised us and what caught us out was they use the water for farming and so the vegetation grows better and they take that and sell it at market so now they've got these little micro businesses that are flourishing or doing better because the clean water is helping them grow better crops or better flowers or whatever it is and again that self-sustaining element is what we're really interested in. what we'd like to do our plan for 2020 that clearly you know we haven't been able to pull off yet but what we'd like to do and um, for anybody listening is our goal is to, I want to find a way where we can send ideally at least a couple of people to a developing area and one of them focus on teaching entrepreneurship while the other one focuses on the spiritual aspect. 
and we want to be able to see whether we can go into a village or a small town for a couple of years and make a meaningful tangible impact in helping them see that they have value that they were created with value by by a god that loves them that they have skills that they can take and use that they can generate income and 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 give them some self-worth rather than thinking they are worthless which is often the case can we go in there can we change the fundamental life of that village within a small amount of time like a two three year window or whatever and then can we replicate it by moving somewhere far enough that they're not going to lean on us but close enough that we can still be there do it all again but then make make them self-supporting of each other and um the Grameen bank guy did this really well uh, the micro lending guy that got a nobel prize uh yusuf something or other, his name will come to me uh, but one of the ways that it was successful is because they made these these community groups where they would hold each other accountable but also support and help each other so if one person's business wasn't doing well all the other little micro businesses would try and figure out how to help and you know it, doesn't that sound familiar doesn't that sound really like the book of acts church yeah. you just mentioned <laughs> yes it absolutely does and so my heart is that's the direction we want to go and um, but that's going to take partners it's going to take a lot of people we don't know the last thing we're going to do is send anybody anywhere without infrastructure in place without knowing they're going to be safe taken care of but the cost element and the funding element is so small for a business who's generating profit that we could do that and self-fund and self-sustain very very easily and if you can do it with two well now you can do it with four or you can do it with eight and it can replicate very quickly and and i fundamentally believe that that we will pull this off maybe not in 2020 but we will find a way to pull this off and we'll find a way to pull it off with some great people and I think we've got a real meaningful chance here to go out and, and, and significantly dent some, some areas of the world. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you a question that you may not be able to answer, but it's, it kept rolling around in my head as you were speaking about all that's going on. How significant is your business skill or your business experience in putting together some infrastructure? Listen, there is heart that is involved with what you just mentioned, but there's some hard skills that are involved also, Mike. And I, I had this thing that came up a long time ago. I mentioned it maybe once on the podcast before, where while I was in Bible school a few years ago, there was a guy that was working on doing some, uh, it was kind of like greenhouses, aqua, you know, the, some growing food. And, and I said, hey man, you really should, take this to missionaries around the world because they can make some money and they could get some food into, uh, you know, some of these areas. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and looked at me, Mike, and he said, you know, we've talked to a bunch of them. He said, some of these people are the laziest people we've ever interacted with. And I'm sitting here listening to you talk about it and going, I don't know if someone, and I hate to say this, this sounds, I almost hate for this to come out of my mouth but I'm not sure that someone who doesn't have the, the business startup, the business skill can implement some of these things. Do you, I'll just go ahead and lay it out to you, agree or disagree? And where would this be if you didn't have some of the skill that you've got? Well, I think, look, um, there's a famous preacher that, you know, alluded to the disciples and said, you know, give me, give me 12 God-fearing eyes and, you know, we can go to the world. 
Um, obviously, you know, Jesus only had 12 and managed to make a big impact. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way at all. I think the average person doesn't have the skill set, uh, doesn't have the drive, doesn't have the motivation, doesn't have the desire, isn't willing to sacrifice. Um, you know, you see it in business all the time. You, you Forget the superstars, forget the Jeff Bezoses, the Bill Gates, the guys who made it really big, 99 point whatever percent of businesses are small businesses. And then you see, you see employees, big rich business owners, any success? Well, I should get, I should get paid more than that. I made that happen. I've, I've watched debates on it. I've seen them argue about, well, who deserves the, the rewards, the guy who owns the factory or the people who work in the factory. But, but what most people fail to, to recognize and see is that the, it's a risk reward ratio. So did you go sign it? Did you go sign a personal guarantee for 10 years on a lease worth millions? Cause, cause I go to sleep every night and that's just one of them. And I've got three leases, you know, I think by nature, the Bible proves to us that that's okay. Everybody wasn't successful. Jesus didn't come down and say, I'm going to make everybody successful. In the Old Testament, it was okay that some people were more successful than others. And so we have to just accept that, that, that that's, look, we were created with the ability to learn, grow, develop, create. What we do with that is, is down to us for a lot of it. And I, I understand the nature versus nurture and everything else, but there's too many guys who grew up dirt poor in the projects that went and made something of themselves that you can't just hold that argument and say, well, I didn't grow up in the right neighborhood. I didn't grow up in the right neighborhood. I didn't grow around the right people. I didn't grow around. I don't have the right connections, but you know what? I got one connection that matters and he's got all of them. So then I got to figure out how to make sure that my walk with him is right and I can trust him to do the right thing. So back to your question, does it take skill? Absolutely. But is it skill that can be learned? Absolutely. I built my first work lodge. I've never done a construction project in my life. I never built a home. I never built anything. I mean, I put a couple of tiles on a wall in a bathroom, you know, that's about the extent of my construction skill. And we built 23 and a half thousand square feet and I had a general contractor who ran off halfway through the job. Now you learn real quick or you lose everything you've got. So you learn, you work 12 hour days, you work 14 hour days, you work 80 hour weeks, you don't have weekends, you don't go on vacation. Uh, again, it's fascinating for me because I get to watch all these different entrepreneurs and it sounds terrible because I'm not judging anybody. I'm really not. But I find it incredibly coincidental that the ones who don't tend to make it so well are the guys who come in at 10, go out at three, long weekends, five vacations a year. Look, there's a pattern here and, and I'm not making it happen. I'm not making it happen, but there is a pattern and you can't deny it. And then you've got the other guys who are hustling, working late, working long hours, making things work going out, meeting people and, and, you know, doing all the things they know to do. And I'm not saying that that's the only thing. Again, there has to be some intelligence there, but um, I, I genuinely believe anybody can do anything with the right drive and motivation. For me, it comes from knowing one day I'm going to stand there and he's going to say, okay, Mike, tell me what you did with what I gave you. And I, I better hope I've got a good answer. Yeah, that's, that's good. Gosh, you, we're, we're going up against our time here and I wanted to have you say a couple things about the podcast but I'm sitting here going, dang, I really could probably learn a ton from the observations you have with all of your members. You know what? We'll save that for another conversation. We'll tease the listener and maybe we'll come back to that. Not too long ago, you rolled out of bed or decided or purposed or God gave you the vision to start a podcast. I think I shared with you earlier, I don't know if we were on mic or not, but I just in the last few days have listened to every episode and and love it it's great you got a great heart i told you that linda was pretty awesome that's your wife 
Yeah. I've had my wife on a few and she gets all the great feedback. I, maybe I'll learn from that. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, just give us, just give us briefly, you know, why did you start it and what are you trying to accomplish? Just give the listener, these are already podcast listeners. So tell us that. And then we'll wrap up with a few questions here, Mike. I think the goal was to um, just find a way to, to, to be able to get my voice out there a little bit, talk about some of the things we're, we're working on and hopefully help some other folks, encourage them, inspire them, maybe answer some questions for them. Um, just I've, I've wrestled and struggled to find Christian entrepreneurs and business I can relate guys out there, but I don't know if um, I wrestled tremendously with how much do we give? Is it 10% of gross? Is it 10% of net? How do you even do 10% net of what? What does what that cost? Net of cost of goods sold? Is it net of everything? You know, and, and, and where can I, who can I talk to? How can I have those conversations? And so because I was struggling to find voices talking about some of the questions I was having, you know, PPP loans. Do I do I borrow money? Don't I borrow? Is it is it a loan? Is it a grant? Is it is it the government help it? I pay plenty of tax. Does it make it okay? Does it not make it okay? Again, there's so much more depth to that that conversation for me and the way my mind works. Um, you know, process that information. So I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe I can spark some dialogue, and hopefully through that, I'll I'll make some connections, and 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 here we are. So evidently, I was I was right just a little bit. And um, if I get nothing else, then you know, some new friends and and um, and some new connections along the way, then that's great. If I can help some other folks along the way, then that's even better too. Yeah, and that is uh, it's uh, the Mike Thacker show, right? Is that what you call it? Yeah. And available available anywhere people listen to podcasts, correct? Yes, sir. Well, I'm subscribed. I listen and I enjoy it. So I encourage people to listen. There's so many things we could talk about here, Mike, and I appreciate your perspective on so many things. But what I would love for you to do now is just let let the listener know how they can connect with you and send them somewhere we'll include it down in the notes but let them know how they can connect with you and then we'll wrap up with a, a short question or two here yeah no you can find me on on facebook on instagram at real mike thacker and uh, if you want to be professional we can do the linkedin thing too and uh, obviously the, the the show is anywhere that um, you know the podcasts are and if you want to see my website it's just mikethacker.com t-h-a-k-u-r Okay. Very good. Thank you for that. And we'll make sure we'll include things in the notes. And what's next for you? What are you excited about? What's coming up? So I think, I think if you'd have asked me that a year ago, I'd have said, you know, more locations, more growth, uh, you know, bigger, bigger, faster, better. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite in the same place now that I, that I was, you know, then I think really what's next on a spiritual level is, is just continuing to try and figure out a balance of, making that time, you know, early in the morning to, to press in and, and, and have that devotion time. Keep keep trying to seek his kingdom first. That's the most important thing. Keeping that perspective right with the business, trying to lead better with the staff, trying to model well for them through a tough time and through an anxious time. And um, and obviously finding ways to, to go make this, uh, you know, this Gabriel project thing happen the way that I want it to. So we're going to keep going to keep moving forward and working on it. Excellent. Well, we're pulling for you and let us know if there's anything that we can do to help or assist in any way. We, we have the name Seek, Go, Create, Mike. And I like to ask which one of those words resonates with you more than the other and why or jumps out at you or, or Seek, Go, Create. Which one? 
that's a tough one. Um, I, I, I like I like seek. Um, I like that idea of, of, of seeking him, but I think it'd have to be create. You know, at the end of the day, we're made in the image of God. God's a creator. He, he, that's that's what he did. We're supposed to go out there and create. If we can create, great. If we can't, go find someone that is and go help them create. But one way or another, we're, we're built for that. Yeah, Mike, that is so good. I, I so appreciate you taking the time to share with us and be on the show. And it really, really means a lot to us. And I know it was a blessing to the listener. If you're listening and you'd like to continue the conversation, we encourage that. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're doing to reach for success, what you're doing to redefine success. And you can find us in so many places. You can go to seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com, as we mentioned at the beginning. And you can go there, give us your email address, and you will be connected. And you'll also be able to find all our other coordinates on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and of course, Instagram. And we like to dialogue and go back and forth with you there also. Just as we did in today's episode, we spoke to someone who operates in the business world, operates in ministry, operates in in missional type projects. And next week we have another, another superstar in that area. So just, I just love these conversations because they educate and encourage me so much. And I'm sure they'll do the same for you. So come back next week for the Seek Go Create podcast. Thank you again for listening. We will connect with you again on Seek Go Create in the near future.